today's reading is from Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1 to 8, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of fawns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Who is like the wise man who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. This is the word of God. And uh, let me add my welcome. Uh, my name is uh, Matt Fuller, uh, Minister here. It's uh, uh, great to have you with us, uh, particularly if you're visiting. Uh, lovely to see you. If it's your first time to church, 
Welcome, Theo. Is that your first time? Yes, at the back. Um, uh, great. Lovely to have you with us. Let me lead us in a prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, in this uh, world, which is often confusing, what a relief that we can sing of you, that you have all wisdom and power and strength. They belong to you. you that's how you rule this world, supremely, sovereignly, with strength, wisdom, with great wisdom. Uh, and so, Father, now we ask that you'd impart some of that to us. Your, your spirit would take the timeless wisdom of your word and change us with it so we know more rightly how to live in a complicated world. Amen. Uh, well, after a little break, then, we're uh, back to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, um, which, uh, if you've forgotten, is the quest of the teacher to uh, find meaning in this world or purpose. Uh, and uh, he's been on that quest for, uh, uh, well, it's 12 chapters. We looked at the first six uh, about a month ago. And so in chapters 1 to 6, he pursued with a fairly relentless logic that if there is no God... Life in this world is meaningless. You can try filling your life and finding satisfaction in other things. You can try that in work, in pleasure, uh, in money, in wisdom itself. You can try and find your satisfaction in those things, but they'll never truly satisfy. Because, uh, it comes up time and again, what mocks us above all is death. Because whatever we achieve in life, death comes along and says, well, that's done. And what have you got left? What is the profit that remains from your life. So it's a sort of fairly, um, not the most positive, uh, I guess, uh, cheerful message in one sense. But if you remember in chapters 1 to 6, in that bleak message of if there is no God, your life is meaningless, 38 times meaningless, 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 uh, into that fairly bleak message, every so often the curtains uh, sort of blow back in the breeze and light comes in. And uh, the teacher, the writer of the book says, but there is a God. And actually it's in coming to him you can find your purpose and satisfaction he is who you've been made for. And sort of the wind dies down, the curtains blow back, and off he goes again. Well, that's chapters 1 to 6. Now, the book changes a little bit in the second half, chapters 7 to 12, because now he actually sort of draws the curtains back a little bit more permanently and allows a little more light into the room. Uh, and so if 1 to 6 are life is meaningless without God, chapters 7 to 12 are more, okay, now we know that, fear him. Fear him. Fear God. Now, it's not quite as clear-cut as that. But there is a different mood to the second half of the book. It is, it's a little bit more like the book of Proverbs. Um, you get those sort of one-liners of wisdom. But the teacher, he is, um, he is still a little contrarian. I, I enjoyed uh, one uh, writer put it this way. He's like the student in the class who keeps saying, yes, but I've got another question, but what about that? Yes, that, I know that's true most of the time, but what about the tough case? Yes, but, but what about that then? And uh, he's, oh, it is, he's never quite happy with um, the smooth lines. He always wants to push the boundaries, ask the difficult questions, which makes him a really encouraging book or, or a helpful book for us to read. Because if you come to church this morning thinking, I'm finding it quite hard to praise God because life is tough at the moment. He's your man. <laughs> he would say, yes, I know that. I know that feeling. Life is not straightforward, is it? It's complicated. But, uh, and he'll go on to give wisdom. So Ecclesiastes, it is the book for when life's messy. For when life is not running on smooth lines. Again, one uh, writer put it, uh, Ecclesiastes is a kind of backdoor for believers 
and allows them to have the uh, sad and skeptical thoughts that we don't often allow in through the front door. And I enjoyed that. Ecclesiastes, it is the book which says, when we don't get it, when we're bewildered by life, come here and I'll share that with you. I can empathize with you, says the teacher, but here's how we should go. So uh, in a world which is uh, bent out of shape or crooked, uh, wisdom. Uh, Chapter 7 is all about finding wisdom in that sort of world. And uh, to summarize, he says that wisdom is found in three little things, in walking with sorrow, in fearing our God, and in accepting our limits. That's where wisdom's found. Walking with sorrow, fearing our God, accepting our limits. Let's take them, um, let's take them in turn. So first of all, then, wisdom is found, verses 1 to 12, in walking with sorrow. That starts off very well. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. Oh, yes, yes. Confucius says, you know, it's a good fortune cookie wisdom. You can get that from a cracker. Yes, of course that's true. Much better to have a good reputation than a bottle of Chanel number no. 5, of course. One is priceless. One is expensive, but, you know, you know it'll go. And of course, of course that's true. Yes, we all agree. Uh, uh, then the second half of verse 7. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Yeah, uh, oh, uh, oh, that's less obvious, isn't it? Um, what have we had, four births in the last month, something like that? Uh, it's not the, mess, not the best message for you to hear right now, is it? Uh, but probably not. Because um, sorry, births, they're times of excitement, they're times of hope, they're positive. You, you, you have uh, dreams in front of you, whereas death, well, that's the end. That's a time of farewell. What does he mean? It continues in the same vein in verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. And here's the reason. Uh, for because death is the destiny of every man. And the living should take this to heart. Now, he's not saying it's always better to mourn than to feast. It's always better to be gloomy than to be happy. He's not saying that. Jesus had plenty of good meals in life. And uh, some people think it's godly to be gloomy, and that's not true. (laughs) It's just depressing. Um, uh, That's no good to anyone. But he's saying in this narrow sense, death is a slap round the face that wakes you up. It's a reality check. See, when everything's going well, when there's optimism and hope, you just go through life and you say, oh, it's all good, it's all good, (laughs) ha, 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 life is fun. But death makes you think, oh, oh, what is the purpose of my life? And in that narrow sense, death is better than birth. All of us will give an account to God for our lives. And death reminds us of that fact. It's the sort of... Uh, it's the triple shot express, espresso that you know, really livens you up and thinks, oh my goodness, what am I doing here when we're feeling a bit drowsy, life in this world? In that sense, death is better, the day of death is better than the day of birth. You can learn more at the crematorium than you can at the maternity ward, says the writer. It'll, sh- it'll arrest you. Uh, a couple of years ago, a very lovely guy... Um, called James Marr, died. He was uh, only 28, died of cancer. He uh, went to church in Balham, one of the churches uh, uh, that we're uh, twinned with uh, here. 
And I saw his wife uh, last weekend. It was a reminder to me a couple of years since he died. Uh, he was an unassuming guy. Um, uh, I think it would probably be fair to say he wasn't uh, the most obviously passionate of Christians. Um, he wasn't the most obvious encourager of people in the faith. And yet he died really well. Because obviously through rounds of chemotherapy and then knowing he was counting down to his death. Uh, he was a, a living embodiment and a reminder to people, look, what you do in this life matters, and it may not be as long as you think. He died well. He was very clear with his, uh, his wife, his family, his pastor. I want you to preach 1 Corinthians 15 at my funeral. Tell the people that don't mourn for me, because I'll be born again. I'll be raised again with a, a body that works, a body that can never die again. And strikingly, he said uh, not long before he died to his uh, uh, pastor, I think I've done more spiritual good for our church in dying than I would have done in 60 years of living. Which is a very um, strange thing to say in one sense. But he had understood that everyone who'd come to visit him, a young man leaving behind him a grieving wife and broken dreams... But he was a living embodiment saying to everyone there at the church, do you see what you do in this life matters? And look, I was 28, and I thought, look, stuff it. All that matters now is that I know Jesus Christ. And you've got the rest of your lives ahead of you. Great. Serve him. Because everything else, let me tell you, when you're this close to death, is a waste of time. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing impact he had. In that sense, says the writer of Ecclesiastes, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Uh, so verse 3, uh, sorrow is better than laughter. A sad face is good for the heart. Yes, the wise go to the house of the morning. Yes, not that it's always better to be glum, nothing godly about being miserable, but wise people know that there's more to life than worldly pleasures. The, uh, I don't know where he was coming from, but do you, do you remember the old uh, poem or... Uh, a number of verses, but the Robert Browning Hamilton poem, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Yeah, that's right. He's understood this. It's rare that you meet someone with uh, great spiritual depth or maturity who hasn't walked with sorrow, who hasn't suffered in some way, that's rare. Because you learn. <laughs> it arrests you. It makes you question what you're living for and deepens you to have experienced that. And so verses 5 and 6, the teacher says, well, given that's the case, how do you spend your time? What are the voices you listen to? So verse 5, it's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Now, apparently uh, thorns, uh, if, you, if you use them as uh, your fuel, they make a nice crackling sound, but go very quickly and produce very little heat. Or like, they're the sort of the rice krispies of fossil fuels, or fuels rather. You know, but don't sort of fill you up. But that's the point of, uh, of this little illustration, I think. And so do you see what he's saying there? What we want are, we want voices that give us wisdom. 
So the world will just fill us with the sound of laughter. (laughs) The song of this world is, just do whatever makes you feel good. Fill your lives with pleasure. And that's meaningless, he says. What we want are those who come into our life and speak truth, even when it costs. We want friends who will rebuke us. We want to listen to voices that will challenge us rather than just affirm everything we're doing. Uh, I guess a a number will know, um, as a church, not really this congregation so much as as the evening, has endured a a number of affairs, adulterous affairs, over the last year, a small number, um, which caused great pain. But in the midst of that, I've been greatly encouraged by a number in the church who were good friends to the offending party. Because often it comes out a bit like this. Uh, it's, everyone at work tells me I should leave my wife and go off with this new woman because I, I'll be happier then. I'll be more satisfied then. And a number of their friends at church have said to them, shut up. What are you talking about? Stop it. You've got to change and go back to your wife. And that's always hard. Always much easier to say, well, yeah, whatever you think is best. You put your friendship on the line when you have those conversations and say, I think what you're doing is a real mistake. That is a costly conversation. But those are good friends. Those are the the wise rebuke of a friend is much better than the meaningless laughter. And so the the teacher said, well, who, who are you listening to? Which are the voices? So if we have friends and we merely speak of uh, our sport and our, and our leisure and our shopping and our clothes and our hobbies, holidays, home improvements, then our lives will be fairly shallow. Uh, we need friends who will come into our lives and say, why are you doing that? Can I question your motives in that? You, it seems to me you need to stop doing that. That's the path to wisdom. To, uh, to surround ourselves. We'll certainly have some friends who have those sort of conversations with us because it's better to heed a, heed a wise man's rebuke than listen to the song of fools. The teacher says, do, do you know the sort of friends you want? You want friends that'll say, don't live for today, live for eternity. You want to listen to voices Surround yourself with voices, not just the voices of the world which say comfort, but you need to listen, surround yourself with voices that say, don't serve comfort, serve Christ. Who are you listening to? See, the path of wisdom is those who will rebuke, those who will be serious. So first thing, uh, wisdom is found, uh, verses 1 to 12, in uh, walking with sorrow or sobriety may be better. Some, some people who will be serious with you. Verses uh, 7 to uh, 12 are just uh, extrapolations of that, I think. You won't make the mistakes of verses 7 to 12 if you have wisdom and good friends around you. You won't make the mistake of extortion, verse 7, of impatience, verse 8, of anger, verse 9, of nostalgia, verse 10. You want friends who will say, trust God and serve him today. So wisdom is found in walking with sorrow. Sobriety may be better. Uh, Second thing, verses 13 to 18. Uh, Wisdom is found in fearing our God. Fearing our God. Again, not what you'd expect, verse 13. 
verse 13, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? That's unexpected, isn't it? (laughs) Perhaps. God has bent this world. God has distorted this world out of shape a little bit. Crooked here not meaning uh, morally corrupt, uh, not the crook with the swag bag, not that sort of crooked, but just not smooth, not, not running on straight lines. And um, wisdom, you know, you've got to accept that. This life is not a straight motorway. Uh, this life is not a sort of, uh, I don't know, a broad American highway which you can drive and you pass one other car in half an hour and otherwise the road is yours and it's just straight. Life is often the M4 on a bank holiday weekend. And there's a lot of traffic, and there are a lot of traffic jams. And they're doing the roadworks now, on this weekend? What sort of idiot has planned it this way? What, yeah, and that's often what life is like. And then you hit a pothole, and then the tire goes, oh, for goodness sake. Life is often, not always, of course, but life is like that. It's crooked sometimes. It's a little out of shape. And I take it that all of us could name something in our lives right now that we'd like to change. All of us have a crook of some kind in our lives. It might be a a minor inconvenience that is sort of irritating, and we'd like to get rid of that. Uh, It might be something massive that completely overshadows everything we do. It's just there every day. But we have something that's crooked, a, a crook, a kink that we'd like to take out of life. God has put them there. So the teacher has expressed this sentiment before. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 15, he uh, he said, What is crooked can never be straightened. And yet here in the the growing light of the second half of the book, in chapter 7, he states that God is responsible. God is responsible for the distorted way that life works. In saying this, he's just echoing the teaching uh, throughout the Bible. uh, Genesis 3, God made a good world, uh, humanity rebelled against God, and so they fell. And God's consequence was he cursed the world. He said, it'll be difficult in this world now. There'll be thorns and thistles, and it will not always be straightforward. It's just a a repeat of that, of the early chapters of the Bible. But we have a choice now when life is crooked and hard, I guess. Three little things you can say. One, well, life's meaningless. So what do we expect? It's just the randomness of being in this sort of world. Two, If you have some kind of faith, you could rant at God and complain, it's your fault and you're unreasonable. Or three, the teacher's advice is to accept that this is from the hand of God for our good. Uh, Last month, uh, a number of us would have read um, uh, a short biography of William Cooper. Uh, Do you remember the, uh, the hymn writer? who uh, suffered with depression all his life, had four very serious bouts of depression, tried to take his own life on three occasions. Uh, it was with him for the whole of his life. It never went away. So, yeah, I mean, he became a Christian early in his life, in his 20s. never went away. He always had it. Uh, and yet he still had a strong, a very strong conviction in God's goodness in that. One of his most famous hymns, we'll, we'll hear it in a moment, Uh, God moves in a mysterious way. And so he can write there, for the man who has had chronic depression, extreme depression at periods in his life, driving him to the point of suicide. He can write, as as we'll hear later, O fearful saints, new courage take. The clouds that you now dread 
are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. It it looks so awful, but God has purposes. And in time, maybe not in this life in truth, but in time, we'll see what those purposes were. That the kinks of, of, of this world are for a reason. And knowing that there's purpose, well, that, does, that transforms the crooks, the kinks, the bent, the distorted nature when life goes badly wrong. Yeah, he's a realist, the teacher, so verse 15, he, he goes on. Uh, he, uh, he's the, you know, why, but, 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 he's that sort of man. So verse 15, um, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these things. I've seen a righteous man perishing in his righteousness, yes. And secondly, I've seen a wicked man living long in his wickedness, yes. I've, I've seen both of them. Life isn't always fair. Sometimes it is the corrupt businessman that gets the deal. It is the immoral woman that gets the man. It is the selfish child who inherits the cash. Sometimes it just goes that way and it's annoying. He says, I've seen all those things, yes. But here's how not to respond. So verse 16, don't respond in a controlling way. Verse 16, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Don't don't try and over-control life, sort of uh, cross every T, dot every I. Think, if I just perform a little bit better, God will bless me. It doesn't work that way. Don't obsess about controlling everything, because you can't. It'll drive you insane. I mean, a few chapters on, of course, in the Bible, when, when Jesus addresses the Pharisees, woe to you who collect a tenth of your herbs, you tithe your herbs. You think God will bless you because once a month you go out with your scissors to the um, vegetable patch or your herb garden and cut out 10% and give that. What are you doing? That sort of level of obsessive legalistic control. Don't, you can't control everything in life. So don't be over-righteous. It'll destroy you. But of course, don't go to the other extreme, verse 17. And be wicked, that would be, uh, don't be immoral, that would be a crazy thing to do. No, verse 18, walk a path between uh, obsessive moralizing and immorality. Walk a path between those two. Walk the gospel way of faith, obedience, flowing from uh, a trust in God. Fear him, is the summary. Verse 18, fear him. That's how you should walk. And so... Verses 13 and 14, really, they're they're a classic little couple of verses on how to respond to life. So verse 13, when times, sorry, verse 14, when times are good, be happy. When you have a good meal, when you have a good journey, when you have a good conversation, when you have a good time, give thanks. That was great. Hurrah. But verse, the second half there, when times are bad, consider this. God has made them. God has made the one as well as the other. God has made both. So when life is bent out of shape, when there's something crooked that we would desperately change, the teacher would say, look, don't despair, don't rant, but consider this, God has made it this way for a purpose. Oh, uh, verse 14, you you can't know what the future holds. Actually, you can't know if this... Will ever get straightened out? If the sickness will heal? If the pain will disappear? If the obstacle will be removed? You can't know that. You you hope it will happen. You pray towards that end. But in the meantime, know that God has made it this way for a purpose. Trust him. 
with William Cooper. So Cooper, the, uh, the third verse of his song. God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. So the bud, at first, it may be very hard, bitter, miserable, but God has purposes there. And when it flowers, either in this life or the other side of death, when we look back, we'll see the purposes and they'll be wonderful. But in the meantime, trust him, fear him. Why has God made life crooked? I don't know. The the crooks you have in your life, I can't tell you the answers for them. And there are are biblical observations we could bring out, and there are a number. Uh, Why has God made our lives crooked? Uh, It could be to to turn our hearts from this world to the next. It could be that. It could be to reveal whether we really trust him, or actually we just trust our own provision and our own good circumstances and rely on ourselves. It could be that. It could be to make him our greatest desire above all else, that we, that we love Jesus Christ more than our health, our wealth, our possessions. It could be that. It could be to reveal the lingering sins we have in our hearts. It could be that. It could be to display his grace as we bear up under the crookedness. So other people look on and think, oh my goodness, how can they do that? How can God sustain them when their lives are so hard? It could be that. It could be none. It could be other things. We don't know. A man can't discover anything about his future. I can't tell. You can't know that. But we can know that God has purposes. And he's working them out. So fear him. Trust him. In those. I read a great story uh, a few weeks ago about Karl Rove. Yeah, Karl Rove, the man they call Bush's brain. You know, he's uh, one of his key strategists. On one visit to Buckingham Palace... Um, uh, they've been there for a few days, and uh, Karl Rove is very elaborate. You know, where you go every morning, he'd uh, go, and his clothes would be laid out by his valet. He thought this was hysterical, uh, the tradition of uh, of being in the palace. Uh, and then on the the last day, he uh, there were his clothes laid out, wonderful, and uh, he went to unravel his socks that had been neatly rolled up, and there was only one there. He thought, oh no, everything's been packed on Air Force One. I'm going to have to say farewell to the Queen with one sock. And we just, deep, what sort of cheapskate will I look? And there's bound to be some official photo, and there I am with sort of my, uh, you know, looking like a fool. You know, how deeply embarrassing. Uh, and at that moment, there was a knock on the door, and uh, a half a dozen valets marched in, thinking, what on earth is this? The, uh, the one in front had a big silver platter, and uh, just uh, said, uh, uh, excuse me, sir, but in the name of Her Majesty Elizabeth II... Uh, ruler of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith, I am pleased to present you with a pair of the royal socks. And uh, he said he thought this was quite wonderful. You know, before he'd even realised that he was a sock short, uh, this wonderful procession had been planned and uh, brought him his spare socks because the the Queen, or the valets, knew what he needed even before he'd realised it. And God knows what we need. We often wouldn't choose it this way. Who would choose? Why would we choose to have crooks in our life? But God knows what we need. And we'll find out eventually. So wisdom is found in fearing our God. Last thing, wisdom is found in accepting our limits. In essence, verses 19 to 29, we'll never work it all out, this side of heaven. 
Why do we expect to have all the answers? Because we have limited. There's mental limitations and there's moral limitations. Uh, Verse 23 cheered me up enormously. I can't tell you how encouraged I was by verse 23. Here's the mental limitation. All this I tested by wisdom and I said, I'm determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. And that's what I've now written on my folder for Ecclesiastes. I was determined to understand everything in this book and it was just beyond me. So that was uh, an enormous personal encouragement uh, to me. The writer saying, in this life we'll never get everything. We'll never understand it all. There are mental limitations and there are moral ones as well. So verse 20, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. And we're morally limited. Verses 21 to 22, when you hear your friends, your staff criticizing you, or your, um, don't hit the roof, they're having a bad day, they're overstated the case, you've done it, you know you've done it. Um, We're limited morally. Verse 28, this is, um, I don't know what you make of this, this is not a, bit, this is not a sexist comment. Uh, verse 28, while I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. And, oh, how deeply unreasonable. Well, come on, it's hardly flattering about men either, is it? Uh, it's, it's, it's a poetic way of saying no one. He's building on one to go to the next. There's no one. I couldn't find anyone who was upright. So the conclusion, verse 29, this have I found only. God made mankind upright, Genesis 1 and 2. But men have gone in search of many schemes, Genesis 3, and that's still the case. So still, of course, humanity thinks it's wiser than God, can do away with God. Why need him? I was watching football last night. It was just a very odd little conversation. Adrian Charles, the presenter, the ITV presenter, was commenting upon England's dismal performance the night before. Uh, and he said, well, sometimes it's good, isn't it, to play appallingly? Because then when you have a decent result and play quite well, everyone thinks how wonderful it is. And, you know, the black makes the white shine much more clearly. It seems a bit like the prodigal son, isn't it? You know, the prodigal son who runs away from his father, makes a mess of his life. And when he comes back, everyone's even more thrilled than, um, than he was when he was there originally. He said, oh, terribly sorry, I brought the Bible in. How foolish of me. And um, it, was a, it was a sort of odd little moment. Um, why have you brought the Bible in? It's not the most obvious, you know, how many people understand the prodigal son? You've got an audience of 12 million here. What Are they all getting this? But then, well, I'm terribly sorry. What have I done? How foolish of me. Because, of course, people say, how, how, how immature. How immature to believe in a God. How wise to go your own way. How wise to say humans know it all. Oh, stuff. How ridiculous. I've slowly been... Um, uh, uh, working my way through this book um, by Paul Johnson, it's called The, uh, the, the Intellectuals. He's, uh, um, if you don't come across him, a fairly uh, revered left-wing journalist in the UK. Um, and uh, this book, The Intellectuals, then, he, he works their mini-biographies of great thinkers throughout the history, so Marx and, and Rousseau, Bertrand Russell, uh, Shelley, and so forth. And uh, he says, what basis do, on what basis can they make their advice to us on how to live? Let's look at their private lives. And Bay says their private lives are a disgrace. They declared one thing in their writings. They lived a different way. They said, here's the way for humanity to grow and blossom and flourish and improve. And in their own lives, they were just a car crash, leaving behind broken relationships, you know, a succession of failed marriages and infidelities. And his basic conclusion is, don't listen to any of them. Because... Their lives and their teaching are so wildly inconsistent, they have no wisdom to offer. So it's a fairly, I mean, it's quite witty as well, but um, it's a fairly blunt uh, uh, illustration in the end. 
It's limited. Humanity is limited. We're limited in our wisdom mentally and morally. And so where do we turn? Fear God. Fear God. Where do we turn for wisdom? We're limited. But Jesus Christ came from outside our world and entered in. The one who made this world, who stood outside it, you could put it that way, and can teach us what, it is, what the purpose of this world is, he's come into this world to give us wisdom and says, I can teach you wisdom. I, I am wisdom. I can transform you with wisdom. I died so you'd understand wisdom. And so Paul can write, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. You see, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher here, verse 23, I was determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. The teacher, Jesus Christ, I am wisdom. Come to me. Come to me. You won't understand everything in this world. You'll not understand everything. But you can trust that I have reasons and purposes behind it. This lovely, uh, lovely phrase I, uh, I, I used before. If you want the key to understanding life, you have to go to the locksmith who made the lock. And that's God. He made the lock. Go to him. But he won't give you the key. He'll say, you have to trust me that I'll keep unlocking the doors where you need them to be. So where's wisdom to be found? Well, often, yes, it'll be in walking with sorrow or being sobered up. It is in fearing our God and accepting our limits and coming back to him and saying, God, we trust you. We trust you. Can't work out everything. This life is complicated, but you have all the wisdom we need. Uh, We'll live it out where we can and where we can't. Blessed be your name. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that in a crooked world, a complicated world, uh, there is wisdom to be found. Thank you that you have shared with us great wisdom in the scriptures. You've given us wisdom in Jesus Christ. And uh, we thank you for those things and pray that we'd uh, respond by living wisely. But Father, there are times when we come to the end of our wisdom. We can't work out what is going on in the world. We cannot discover your plans for the future. And at those times, would we continue to give thanks and trust you, fear you, and remember that in Jesus Christ is all wisdom. And even if we don't understand, in clinging to him, we belong to one who does and who is working out purposes in this world for good. So would we trust in him, we pray. Amen.